Welcome to our podcast series, Life Hacks with Elijah, where we will be discovering some valuable life lessons with the prophet Elijah. I'm Shannon Perrett, part of the Queensland Baptist Women's Ministry team, and I'm really excited to be bringing you this seven-part series. So let's dive on in. So glad you could join us again today. Last time we saw how God used ravens and a destitute single mum to provide for Elijah's needs in unexpected ways. Our next life hack follows very closely on from that because God not only provides in unexpected ways, but he often uses very unlikely people. You see, the widow that God uses to meet his prophet's needs is from Zarephath in the region of Sidon. What is interesting to note is that Sidon is actually the hometown of Jezebel, who you'll remember is Ahab's wife. And this place is full of Baal worshippers. Jesus actually recounts this story early in his ministry while speaking at the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. In Luke 4, 25-26, he said, In truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Through recounting this story, Jesus is making the point that God didn't choose an Israelite, one of his chosen people, to provide for his prophet, but rather he uses a Gentile woman, a woman who likely had no source of income. And this is just one of the many examples in the Bible where God uses an unlikely person to achieve his purpose. Think about the prostitute Rahab, who God used to hide two Israelite spies and plays an active role in saving a whole nation. We've already mentioned David, who went from shepherd boy to giant slayer, to king, to a man after God's own heart. And what about the virgin girl chosen to be the mother of Jesus? It doesn't get more unlikely than that. And not only were these people all unlikely heroes of faith, but they're also named in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy of Jesus. This unlikely widow displays faith in God and his promise, a faith that many of the Israelites at the time were totally lacking. She trusts God, is obedient, and as a result, she's able to provide food not only for his prophet, but for herself, her son, and her household. And the widow must have had some kind of nice spare bed because Elijah sticks around for a while. Let's pick up from 1 Kings 17, verse 17. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? So here we have this widow trusting God, being obedient and providing for his prophet, and then her son grows ill and dies. It doesn't really seem to make much sense. 
It's like saying 2 plus 2 equals negative 15. But life is not maths and life doesn't always add up. And this is where we hit a life hack with Elijah that's a bit tough to swallow. Bad stuff happens to good people. And that word good is interchangeable with faithful, obedient and even semi-decent because bad stuff happens to everyone. You see it everywhere. Tragedy and pain abounds, seemingly without rhyme or reason. Many volumes have been written about it and I think one of the very first ones was most likely Job. Despite the fact that the book of Job comes after Kings in the Bible, Chronologically, it's most likely that Job actually lived before Elijah. Job is described as a man who was blameless, upright and God-fearing. Over a course of events, Job loses almost everything that's important to him. He loses his sons, daughters, servants, livestock, livelihood and his health. He cries out to God in despair and God responds with, where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. With one rhetorical question after another, and even a little sarcasm, God makes his point very clear. If Job was not there at the creation of the earth and has no idea how it all works together, he can't begin to fathom the puzzle that God pieces together for the world or mankind. I think it's okay that we ask God the hard why questions. I think that's part of working out our faith with fear and trembling. But if we're going to ask the questions, we have to be okay, knowing that our human brains may not have the capability to fathom the answers. Sometimes when we're seeking greater understanding, what we really need is deeper trust. Elijah has no hesitation in bringing his hard questions before God. He takes the dead boy in his arms, carries him to his room and cries out to God, O Lord, my God, why have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? O Lord, let this boy's life return to him. And God hears his cry and returns life to the boy. Seeing her son alive again, the widow says, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. Through the death and resurrection of her son, this widow gets a clearer picture of who God is and sees that his word is indeed true. Which brings us to our next life hack with Elijah. There is often purpose in our pain. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. Pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. As hard as it is, and as much as it hurts, pain and struggle can sometimes be what God uses to reveal to us more of who he is, pull us closer towards him and shape us to be who he has created us to be. The adversity and affliction that we face 
can actually be the waves that pound us onto the shoreline over and over again, gradually working off our rough edges and sculpting us so that we're better able to reflect the image of Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you.